I thank you kindly for firing up the podcast system. That's cast with me, podcast system. With me, lovey. And yes, that is my real name. Every episode, I tackle something new in the world of politics, pop culture, race, and the lack of relations. Be sure to subscribe and enjoy every shady moment. Be hashtag blessed, y'all. As an American, if you celebrate St. Patrick's Day but don't know what Juneteenth is, we need to talk. June 19, 1865, all black slaves in America were emancipated. This became our Independence Day. Many blacks around the country celebrate this day with music, food, and the pure joy of being black. Curious enough, it isn't a national holiday, but I personally think it should be. We fought for those freedoms. We died for those freedoms. Columbus just got lost and really violent. It is time for a shift in the narrative. In today's episode, Jake and I are going to talk a little history and a lot of future. Welcome back, Jake. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's surprising that Juneteenth isn't a national holiday if you don't realize what the nature of the history of this country is. Which is, it's a country that has taken advantage of, exploited, and dominated, and humiliated uh, Black people since its founding. Um, and continue to do so. And continues to do so, and doesn't acknowledge all the many incredible contributions Black people have made to making America what it is. And it's, it's funny, because in the episode that I did uh, two weeks ago with Kyle, we talked about the Tulsa race riot, right? And so here's this really poignant part of Black history in America, and a lot of people didn't know what it was. We go through this stage where people just don't seem to understand or know the history, which means they don't understand the emotions and the feelings that we're having currently in our society. So one thing I, I want to talk about, and it's it's one of those things where, you know, Spike Lee has used the, the phrase 40 Acres and a Muse to describe his production company. And a lot of people have kind of made a joke about it. Like, oh, you want reparations, 40 Acres and a Mule, like, ha, ha, ha. No, it's actually not funny. Because what it is, is it takes a point in our history where, as Black Americans, we were promised something to help bring us to just a basic level of catching up. And it was never given to us. So it was 40 acres and a mule, right? And the order itself said it was three three important parts of the order, okay? So one of the parts is it basically said from Charleston to Florida, the land between there along the seaside would be designated to Black Americans. Section two then said these specific new communities in that area would be governed entirely by Black people themselves. Okay. That's a quote. Yes. That's this a, is a quote. And let me from, from General William T. Sherman. Okay. So who implemented the order. Right. So this was dictated 
1865, that this is on January 16th, 1865, that this is what would be promised in the ordinance for 40 acres and a mule given to emancipated slaves. Finally, the section three specifies the allocation of land. Each family shall have a plot of not more than 40 acres of tillable ground, and when it borders on some water channel with not more than 800 feet waterfront, in the possession of which land the military authorities will afford them protection until such time as they can protect themselves. Okay, so this was all promised. Like, okay, yeah, we brought you on boats and we enslaved you and multiple generations of such, but we finally came to our senses and this is what we're going to give back to you after freeing you. Did this ever happen? No, in fact, um, after Abraham Lincoln died and Andrew Johnson became president, uh, the order was rescinded. And Andrew Johnson pulled American troops, northern troops, out of the South. And in the absence of U.S. northern soldiers to protect the minority black population in the South, the southern political elite established what we now know as uh, the Jim Crow system. Oh, yes. And basically returned black people in the South to a system of slavery that, that well, is referred to as sharecropping. Well, sharecroppers, indentured servitude. It sounds much, much nicer than slaves, right? They were slaves. They were slaves. So... It's funny because in the past couple of weeks, a lot of people have come out and videos have come out, you know, trying to educate the American populace on what it is and why it is that black Americans are in the position that they're in today. And Kimberly Jones had posted a really great YouTube video that if you haven't seen, you absolutely should see. And it's on the most simple level of trying to describe why we aren't where we should be in life. We've never owned shit. We still don't own shit. And if it, things continue in the way that they are, we can't own shit in the future. You get that? Sorry, go so, ahead, Jake. No, no, yeah, absolutely. And us not owning things is because we were exploited. <laughs> the whole system of capital accumulation in America was built on the banks of slave labor. And so when we try to understand the current economic and political situation of this country in general, not just the particular plight of black people, but the dynamics of our society. You have to understand the history. And that's the biggest problem is that people don't understand the history. And so, you know, I've been teaching for several years. And one of the things I noticed when I would bring up the issue of black-white relations in America is that a lot of these young students, and I think this is true about a lot of Americans, mm -hmm. see racism as something that was you know, occurred in the past and basically was about preferences. Back in the day, white people- Were just racist. No, it was, it, they just didn't like black people very much, and no. now we like them more, <laughs> as if it was a, a sort of a matter a of taste. There was um, a it was a... But what we're talking about is a system of oppression. oppression and exploitation that produced the modern world as you see it today. And continues. You were oh, affirmative American. action, yeah. Wait, affirmative action. Do you remember how hard people fought against affirmative action? They still fight against it. Oh, that's true. Who am I kidding? All right. That's exactly what was discussed last week when I was talking about the kid who said, you took my place. He said, I took his place because of affirmative action. Like, of course, I got into Middlebury because I'm black and he's white. So to this day, we are still experiencing the pain and the frustration from white people who are angry that we attempt, because we haven't even gotten it yet, that we're attempting to getting access to things that we have actually earned. 
earned. We produced the things. Well, that is we also built true. the things. You know, you look at the literally, south. Literally, we literally built the south. I mean, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's a it's a basic fact of the history of this world, and not just America. The whole world. Black labor was the source for the capital accumulation that made Europe and America rich and powerful. And that's just a fact. Um, so it's one thing I wanted to say about the current environment in which we're in, mm-hmm. right? It's both, you know, I feel both hopeful and also a little worried because okay. I see a lot of white friends of mine out there protesting and posting about how they need to check their white privilege and how they themselves clearly suffer from bias that they need to uh, make sure that they correct. And you see corporations talking about how they're going to do better. And I'm like, but what do you all actually mean? There we go. And what is it that you're actually talking about? So when you talk about white privilege, again, I think sometimes the language seems to indicate that what people uh, believe white privilege means is People are just nicer to white people in this society. Right. But it's more than that. It's about power. White Inherent privilege is power. incredible power over the lives of others and built and uh, through the exploitation and brutal treatment of millions and millions of people over hundreds and hundreds of years. This is not about just people will be uh, more favorable to you in a job interview. Right. Right. This is about the fact that your father controls a company because of the historical accumulation of capital produced by slave labor. Right. Like, we could have had a Rockefeller. We could have had a Carnegie. But guess what? We don't. We didn't. Because at every step of the way, when we got close to that, it was destroyed legitimately in the Tulsa race massacre. It was destroyed by white people. When we asked for reparations, it was destroyed when those were rescinded. Yeah, you know, you mentioned reparations. We mentioned reparations a couple of times today. Times today. I remember I had a conversation um, maybe two years ago in the summer mm-hmm. uh, at a bar, with, and Kyle was there, mm-hmm. um, and he'll tell you the story. And we started talking about reparations with some random uh, white white guy at the bar. Mm-hmm. And he made the argument that, look, there's no real justification for reparations. You know, he says, look, I'm a good white liberal, a good progressive. <laughs> and I think that, you know, we should do things to help black people. But reparations wouldn't be the right thing because, and as he noted, they would just waste the money. Wow. Wait a right? minute. I don't think it actually helped. And I told him and I had to explain to him. Okay. First of all. What we do with what we deserve is, is our, our own business, business, right? Period, you, point blank. You, you, you can't steal someone's car, and then when they take you to court, they they say, well, I, I really shouldn't have to give the guy the car back. Because he'll just waste it on yeah. food you and know, he, stuff. He, he won't utilize the car as well as I could. No, no, this is a matter of justice, right? It is not a matter of helping black people. This is what is owed to black people, right? You produce wealth, you deserve to receive it back. That's the basic principle that we claim to be committed to in a capitalist society, I mean, but we're not following are, through. Right. On. These are the same people who complain about um, Social Security and, you know, I put in all of this and I'm not going to get it back. And it's like, oh, are you bothered by that? Are you upset? Yeah, exactly. You know, so, you know, you, you're sort of seeing what we have experienced forever since day one. <laughs> Before day one. 
pre-day one because we didn't even know that day one was going to be born upon a land that was not our own and clearly is still not ours because we're treated as if we don't deserve to be here. And and, and, I, and I have to mention that, and I, say, I think I say this every episode, I think I mention this every episode, and I think, you know, I really need to start to disengage from Facebook and all other online uh, forums, but every time you post something to engage people in the conversation about the inequities that we all face, you immediately get the response that you're being dramatic. You guys should have been doing better thus far. Um, this is not a racial thing. So it screams to me that we haven't gotten to a place where people are even willing to listen and to really understand the history. Because if people don't understand the history of where we come from, and I mean that as not just Black Americans, but white Americans, Asian Americans, everyone. If you don't understand the history of where we come from, we will not be able to move forward in a positive direction to make things right. Absolutely. And, and, and knowing history is absolutely essential because you don't know what this country is really about unless you know its history. Yeah. And we don't educate our students about the real history of this country. And the basic fact is this, we as black people in this country are not afforded true democracy because democracy means self-government. And how can you have self-government when you're a minority group who's been stigmatized, hated on, exploited and dominated by a white majority population that doesn't and hasn't um, been committed to your interests, right? And so that's why the uh, Sherman Act stipulated that the land that was going to be transferred to black people was going to be contiguous land. What was it, 400,000 acres? 400,000 acres for blacks only. And they would Governed by blacks. Governed by blacks, and that's important. Without political autonomy, black people cannot flourish in the society. Without uh, a return to black people of the capital value they have produced, and without political control over their shared conditions of life, they can't actually be free. I mean, so we are the... still not free to this day right, because and... we don't have political power and we don't have capital value. Because in a capitalist society, if you don't have capital, you, you don't got, have you don't power. Exist. You, don't you don't exist. exist. You don't exist. Well, look you exist the... in one way. You exist to be utilized and exploited, but, but you don't at, exist for yourself. At, look at the Native American population and look. I mean, if that's not an example of what it is to be mistreated in an environment, in a community, on land. I mean, okay, I'll say it. The land wasn't ours when we arrived here. We were brought here, right? Native Americans were here, were massacred, were tortured, were, were robbed. And then eventually Americans were like, oh, fine, I keep complaining. Give them a little bit of something. And then they gave them a little bit, and that little bit was nothing. Well, actually, the, the story is even more tragic than that because, um, and, it's, and it's linked to the, the, to the history of slavery in this country, which is, look, cotton actually is, uh, you know, uh, harvesting cotton on the land actually is pretty bad for the land. Right. It um, depletes it of it, all its nutrients. Exactly. And... and so one of the things that ends up happening in the history of agriculture in the South is because there was so much cotton production on the land in the South, there was a need for accumulating more and more land. Right. And so what did the U.S. government do in order to allow the white settlers in the South to continue business as usual? Push they drove all the Native Americans off out. their land, right? Put them in the new territories and then sold the land that they had stolen 
from the Native Americans back to white settlers for what was about a dollar and twenty-five cents an acre, which is about thirty dollars and thirty-eight dollars an acre in, in today's, today's money. And so that's <laughs> one of the many times in which the U.S. government has made an incredible capital transfer to white people in the history of this country. And and, and you have many other examples of it with the GI Bill, et cetera. And so there's constant, and now you have white people telling themselves a story about how they got to where they are, which is- Bootstraps and all that shit. Yeah, they pulled themselves Mm -hmm. up by their bootstraps to their own individual effort. They achieved wealth, et cetera. And, and, And criticizing black people for being on welfare. You are all welfare babies. Off the backs of blacks. You're all welfare babies, okay? That's how the middle class was created in America, was through government welfare. I mean, if you look at, you know, the Great Depression and and, and the programs that FDR created in order to, to, to bring people back up to uh, functional status, you know, I don't think anybody was complaining back then. Oh, no, they don't. They, and Or right now, right? None of these corporations ha! that sell this story about individual freedom and laissez-faire capitalism. They don't want the comp- they don't want the government to intervene. But all of a sudden when they're, when they're in trouble, Bail us all out. of a sudden everybody's a socialist. Everybody wants a government bailout. You know, keep us all in business. Bail everyone out. The number of GoFundMe pages and the number of pleas for getting your government official to bail out the restaurants, the clothing industries, the individuals who are, you know, work from home, the, all of that. Now take that and put it to an entire community, an entire race of people who actually didn't have a say their entire lives, generations worth, right? Now envision how they feel. So when you're at home right now and you're feeling stressed and you're feeling the pain of having lost income, of having lost your job, of having lost your home, imagine that you never even had it and then you lost even less after what was promised to you. So on this Juneteenth today, What I want us to do is I want us to now have a better understanding of the history, but also talk about what are we going to do? You know, because I appreciate and I see the people who are out there protesting and I see the people who are out there saying Black Lives Matter. But what are you going to actually do? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, when people say, oh, you know, I'm going to commit to checking my privilege, I'm going to commit to... Learn the history by which you have that exactly, And then learn what would be necessary to realize real justice, real freedom, and real democracy in this country in which blind people have never been given a fair shake, right? And so, and I also, speaking to, to the black community, we need to take advantage of this moment and realize that We have to come together as a community and systematically promote a coherent agenda for our own benefit. We have aided everyone in every aspect of their lives. We've apologized. We have we've done things that we never needed to do. We need to stop being meek. We have to assert ourselves. And so much of our previous political efforts have been um sort of qualified by an interest in not antagonizing, not upsetting white people. Yeah. And that's not our job. Our job (laughs) is to fight for what is right and And what is good for us. And that's what we have to do. And and I realize that in, in listening to this episode, a lot of people are feeling like, oh gosh, they're really angry. Yes, we are. We are angry. We are tired. And we are now in a place where people are actually listening. 
And so for those of you who are listening, this is the time for change. There are, there are times in history where you can see, you know, something happens and a spark happens or, or the, the, the scales actually shift. There is a shift in the equilibrium because the equilibrium never existed for us. We're in disequilibrium. Yes. We might be moving somewhat to a more stable disequilibrium, but we're still very, very far from equilibrium, right? We don't have a harmonious society. And so when people see, you know, I, I constantly hear people say things like, oh, wow, this is, this is a really difficult time in America. 2020 is a bad year. Or commenting on how terrible of a president uh, Trump is. And all of that kind of language makes it seem as if, you know, we were doing really well, and then all of a yeah. sudden, the past couple of years, things got bad. Let me tell you something. They used to lynch black people for fun, and it was legal, okay? We have a system of economic wealth production that will utilize the torture of black people as its most effective mechanism for securing and producing wealth. Remember that. That's how we got rich, and we have never corrected for any of those wrongs that we've committed against black people. So you can't tell me you're committed to justice and you're not committed to reparations. You can't tell me you care about black interests and you're not fighting for reparations. At the end of the day, people have to prove that they do want to make this a better society, that they do want to be better people. Simply being nicer to black people, and wanting to, you know, like your friend said, I want to run up and hug every black person I see. That is I swear not, to God, don't do that. First of all, that is not what we're asking for. That's not what we're talking about. And don't do that. And don't do that. Right. Don't do that. We're talking about real structural transformation and anything short of that doesn't uh, draw on the real history of this country and is not worth our time or attention. Because you know what talks? Money. This is America. Money, money. So if you can't fathom giving up money to see someone else succeed, then you really don't care. Kidnapped you and forced you to work for them for 40 years? You think that an apology would be sufficient to answer the crimes that they've committed against you? Absolutely not. And that's what we're being offered, mere apologies. And not to mention, so we've seen some progressive development coming as a consequence of the protests in terms of so-called reforms of the police system, right? But what are we actually getting here? Mm -hmm. We're talking about they're, they're going to ban the uh, no-knock warrants. They're right. going to ban chokehold, right? And they're going to ban uh, police from being able to have sex with people in their custody, who they've arrested, right? So basically what you're saying is these reforms... We're mean, banning the things that should have never existed in the first place. Police no longer will be able to rape their uh, people in their custody. Police will no longer be able to utilize techniques that will cause Jeez. someone to die. Police will no longer be able to break into your home... And then kill you. And kill you. While you this, sleep. And this is something we should be applauding as if this is a real achievement. This is less we haven't than, even scratched the surface. That's less than baseline. That shit is below the surface. Okay, that's hella below the surface. It's 2020. And we're lobbying to get police to stop raping, murdering, and breaking into the homes of black people. Of this is this is black people. This is this is as far as we we've gotten. That's it's not that, that's not even up for discussion. That should be an automatic. So the discussion now is what are we actually 
going to do? What are our expectations from those that we've put in power? What are our expectations from those that are supposed to protect and serve? These are the conversations that need to be had and not just had. I don't want to hear about, well, we had a little, we had a little session and, you know, we had coffee and we talked about things and, you know, we cried and we hugged. Okay, great. What are you doing? So here's another thing, right? This whole feelings thing. Look, <laughs> yeah, we, I might be angry. I might not. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about my feelings. Worry about what the truth of the matter is. Worry about what you owe to people. Worry about where justice lies, right? So we've got, I've seen this, you know, this, this kind of post being made by a lot of people where they say things like, you know, I realize now that I don't really know what it feels like to be a black person in the country. I don't care. You never you, will. I don't, first of all, I don't want you to empathize, right? That's not the, the goal here. So that you can then tell me, oh, yeah, I can really feel your pain. You can't. First of all, there's no such thing. You can't. Second of all, what you need to do is inform yourself about this real history and understand what you've accumulated in your own life and what this country has accumulated in general through the exploitation of black people. That's what you need to reflect on. Don't reflect on our feelings. Reflect on the real history of this country. Because here's the thing. When I do the 23andMe, and for the record, they should have never charged me for this shit because uh, you shouldn't have. But when I do the 23andMe or the Ancestry.com history, I go back what? We go back what? Two generations? Three generations at the most mm. of freed individuals. Yeah. Okay, so understand this. Our great-grandfather, Elijah, was probably the first in our family to be a free black man. Mm -hmm. Okay, so understand that. So now I want you guys who are white Americans, I want you now to think, where was your great-grandfather? What did your great-grandfather do? Whether they were in the United States or they were abroad, were they enslaved? Were they able to enter the country if they were immigrants? And if they did enter the country, how did they enter the country? Were they allowed to buy property? Were they beaten every day wherever they went? Were they able to gain employment? Were they able to go to restaurants and eat freely? Did they have a community of people who looked like them, who supported them, who weren't constantly dying, disappearing, and being beaten? If you can answer that and say to me that you understand where we came from and what we experience, then tell me what it is that we're doing wrong. Absolutely. And like you, you noted at the top of the uh, um, conversation, we celebrate St. Patrick's Day in this country. We celebrate St. Patrick's Day in this country, but, what we percentage? Do not, but we do not celebrate the day that black people got free. And we claim to be a society committed to freedom. We're so committed to freedom that we're willing to risk the, the spreading of a pandemic um, so party. that people could have the freedom to go get a haircut. They're telling you that this is a country about freedom, but they don't want to talk about the slavery that made that freedom possible. And they don't want to talk about the justice that needs to be delivered to the people who built this country for free. For free. For free. With no choice. The choice was either do it or die. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I've been reading a lot. You know, I know you don't like me to read before I come on well, these you, episodes because I didn't make a it a little too reading. academic you, you or whatever. You got to bring it down just a touch, just you know, a touch. A little, little. <laughs> I mean, I read books for a living. What are you going to do? <laughs> right? So I read a lot about slavery, you know, behind your bank today. You know, I snuck, right. snuck in some reading. Some of us had other things to do. The stuff that I'm reading, I mean, this is really, really dark stuff. Um, for example, the slave system. A lot of people don't realize this was a very, very elaborate 
system of control and exploitation, right? Manipulation. They monitored everyone's activities. They kept track of everyone's productivity, right? This is actually laying the groundwork for industrial capitalism, the very organized structure of economic wealth uh, extraction from labor is is occurring and 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 make and being made possible in the South, right? So sometimes uh, these economists and economic historians try to talk about uh, Southern slavery as if it was a pre-capitalist system. Right? No, it was not. It was central to the capitalist system that we have, right? Um, that we still benefit from today. But anyway, absolutely, unequally, mm-hmm. radically unequally. One of the things they would do is if you were the people who were the most productive, the black people, the enslaved black people who were most productive would end up getting beaten more to keep them mentally well, be- disabled. Well, because one of the things you do is, is let's say, you know, put it in dollar terms, I produce $50 today and I and then tomorrow, you know, and I'm the most productive person on the uh, on the land mm-hmm. and tomorrow I produce $45. You get punished. So the more productive you were the more likely you were to get punished right. in order to, because... And if you didn't realize you that had was to keep, the system... Well, you had to keep up with... Your best work. Your productive rate. Your best work. And so they, they knew, okay, well, this person can only do this much. So, you know, that's the baseline and we'll... we'll, we'll uh, Except that mediocre... <laughs> yeah, right. right. And so and it's just like, so they're basically torturing people in order to extract profit. Oh, we right? won't even mention the fact that what also happened to the families... Oh, they would tear Mental, the families apart. They would t- so you'd you'd be lucky enough to marry the person that you fell in love with on the plantation. You'd have a child, and then once that happened, and there was some kind of little joy in your life, they would separate you. Oh yeah, they they tear you apart. Take your children, take your husband, take your wife, and you'd all be sold off to different plantations, never to see each other again. Yep. So I don't know if you realize what that might do to a generation and multi-generations where 400 years where that repeats itself over and over again, where our history, literally our history as we know it, is disconjointed, cannot be traced. You know, you just hope that the information that you've received based on the stories that were told are accurate. So when you're told that you're being too prideful for being black or you're being too this or you're being too that, and you're like, but this is all I have. All I have is who I am in this moment, in this time, in this day. And you know what, black people, after all that, all that mistreatment and abuse and and, and just truly, truly, I mean, it's the most horrific system in the history of the species. America's slavery system is the most horrific system of life in the history of the species. Okay, understand that. And longest tenure of 400 years. Okay, so... We haven't even been 400 years out of slavery, but anyway. We haven't been out of slavery as long as we were in slavery, right? Take so, that. Take note of that. In spite of all that. We are hella happy people, man. We are beautiful and powerful. And talented. And talented people. The spirit of black excellence is what makes America great. It, it amazes me. And I, you know, and I, I really should pause on that that comment, Jacob, but... It's it's funny because within our circles, one of the things that we end up talking about is we can be going through, I mean, we go through some shit, right? Like we go through some really hard stuff. From and the t- micro to the macro. <laughs> right. And 20 seconds later, we can be laughing and enjoying just the fact that we are here, we are together, we are just, we're alive, you know? 
and it and it screams and i've said this before and i said this in i think the first episode that we did together about privilege and i said you can tell the difference between those who have suffered and those who have not you want to look at what it manifests as look at the president we had before donald trump we got we had barack obama that's what black people gave you and what did uh white people the reactionary white people in this country give you donald trump so if you want to know where the future lies that's look at that contrast that's it the spirit of black excellence is the future of america we and and i'm done with this whole talking about black people and talking about our struggles as if, you know, the, the task of white people is to feel sorry for us more. No, 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 no. First of that. all, first of all, you should feel sorry for yourselves, that, that you're part of a, a tradition of injustice, of gross injustice. I mean, it's really, really terrible stuff that, you you know, you've got to go study this history of, of, of white Europeans and white Americans and the ways in which they've exploited and dominated people. you got to study the history. But you also have to focus on what you're going to do tangibly to change the reality in which you currently That's it. exist. Because, no, honestly, it really comes down to that. Like, I will listen to everyone say, like, I feel bad. Okay, great. But if you don't tell me in the next breath, lovey, I plan to do this. Concrete. I actions. don't. I, I, there's, I can't do anything with that. I can't do anything with that. So many of these companies, what are they saying? We'll be better. What does that mean? How? What will you do? How will you be better? Are you going to say in public online in a document we promise to employ at least 15 percent of our senior executives and make sure that they are black americans or you know what are you going to i need numbers i need stats because i was formerly an economist and i need actual data i don't want to hear i feel bad i'm sorry for you but you got I've got your back, lovey. You don't have my back if you don't actually do anything to show me that you're willing to change. And this comes from the most basic, you know, I don't care if you're an unemployed stay-at-home mom who crochets or if you're the the president of a massive company and, and all of you from the top to the top, okay? To the tippy top. <laughs> to the tippy top top. Right. Come with information. So and I, I'm going to throw a couple of examples out. Real commitment. I'll throw a couple of examples out because these are things that I think are actually manageable, right? So for those who feel like, well, I don't own, I don't have the power to make change. You do. So if you were a mother, if you were a father, if you have children in the school system and you pay taxes within that school system, guess what? You have power. So you, as a parent in a school system, I want you to go to that district. I want you to go to that superintendent, to that principal and ask, hey, what is the reading list for the year for the K through 12 grades? Mm. How many of the books do we have on hand actually have faces that look like Black Americans, Asian Americans, Native Americans? And how many of those history textbooks tell the real history of America? Right. Because I don't want to hear the legitimation narrative that Americans tell themselves about how uh, uh, amazing they are. Right. I want to hear the real story. So tell us the real. So you know what? Hey, okay. who had to hurt for you to gain? Right. So here's a reality. Right. OK. You can't buy an entire new textbook set this year. OK, that's fine. But what you can do is purchase a supplemental piece to add in. So if it doesn't mention the Tulsa massacre, it's not our history. 
If it doesn't mention the key points in our history, then it doesn't talk about our real history, and that does not count as teaching children the real history of America. If you're the type of person to get upset that Columbus Day was canceled, miss me with that. I don't want to hear it. You need to be the person going to the school and saying, I think Juneteenth should be a national holiday. Look, I, we're going to have to go all the way down the line and really think about how we're going to redo every aspect of our society because we haven't even gotten close to correcting for the wrongs of the past. At all. At all, right? Um, so, for example, law school, you need to have a class on reparations. Because if you're a law school and you're trying to train your students to be agents of justice and you're not training them about how to correct for the greatest injustice ever committed, then you're not really committed to justice. Okay. And so what we've shown in these past few weeks is the power that we possess when we are unified, when black people and their white allies get together and put pressure on this system, we can get real things done. But we have to both recall the real history of this country and specify a concrete program of action going forward. And I'm going to jump in there because I think you brought up a really amazing point that I hadn't thought about before, Jake. The legal system, yeah, right? The legal system is actually geared against us. It's not even geared as a checks and balances. It is geared against us. And I'm going to give you a quick example. So when you think about the, who, who's the young, the, the guy who came into the church and killed all those those people based off of, I don't even, he don't even need a name. You don't no, know who the hell I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So he did that. The immediate response was, he's got mental issues. Oh, yeah. He must be, but the minute that a young black man is involved in a crime after years and years of having to suffer through all sorts of microaggressions, macroaggressions, people coming at them, people saying you're not worth it. What do you think that does to the mind of a black man, a black woman, a black child? That in itself is a mental torture that we constantly face. And for those of us who can remind ourselves how to break through that, we're lucky. But there is a breaking point that happens for many Black Americans who deal with that on a constant basis, right? And I can name names. I mean, we have in Exeter, there was a young child named Edmund Perry who was from Harlem who went to school at Phillips Exeter Academy, okay? This kid is from Harlem. He spent four years. He ended up as an honor student. There was a book written about him, a movie done about him. He got him. into Stanford. He was going to Stanford, okay? He was home and got into a scuffle with an undercover police officer and was subsequently killed in that. He was unarmed. Another life lost, right? And then they tried to persecute his brother for having been present in that scuffle. I want you to understand why that might have happened. What was it that occurred in that moment that broke him? No one says that it's a mental breakdown when it's a black man or a black boy who's in, involved in it. They just say, well, you know, it's he's from the streets. That's who he is, and he's a violent individual. Yeah, they think that we can take infinite pain and, and can just bear it. Right. And, and that storyline is, is bogus. It's, it's Listen, I'm done with it. So every time I hear somebody say, oh, well, you're a strong black woman, I want to throat punch you. No, y'all need to be strong. Y'all need to be strong in your pursuit of justice and, and righting the wrongs of the past. Don't be telling us about how strong we are. Just we know how strong we are. Persevere just a little longer. But, but, you know, a lot of times when you hear white people talk about how strong black people are, what they're really saying is, you'll be all right. You'll be all right.
you can put up with any kind of pain and, and suffering. And, and that's beautiful. I'd love to watch you suffer. Right. We'll keep giving it to you because you can handle it. You can handle it. No, we can't. And I know we shouldn't. Right. And and now we're seeing it in some of our peers, with our friends, with our talented young black. I mean, I'm not going to get into it, but we have friends out there who have suffered and who are being persecuted right now for responding to the violence that we've faced our entire lives. And some of them have had a breaking point and the legal system is going against them. And I think it's a, it's wrong. And, and what we need to do is channel our energies in the right kind of ways, right? So with the, with the, uh, with the power of protests and with the power of the black dollar and the power of our ideas and our culture and our economic labor, all of these things, we need to harness that to make a world that is a home for ourselves, right? If there's a judge who prosecutes uh, a case against one of these protesters, we need to go to their home and protest that right on in front of their doorsteps, right? If there's a if there's a judge who um, or a prosecutor who doesn't choose to pursue a case against a police officer who kills an innocent black person, we need to show up there and protest them day in and day out, right? We have to uh, think strategically, right? And so enough of this feeling stuff uh, where people, you know, I'll just, I'll feel bad for you or whatever. No, no, no. Don't you feel need... bad for me while you're sitting Let's... over your table of lobsters and then enjoying your Savion Blanc. That's bullshit. No. It is time for you to actually do something. And, you know, we were talking about this, right? Which is we should, because we opened up the conversation about why Juneteenth should be a holiday. So we got Juneteenth needs to be made a national holiday. That's unquestionably Period. necessary. And we also have Feb uh, February is Black History Month. What we need to do is harness those days for thinking strategically. How can we get from where we are to a world that is actually a home for freedom, a home for happiness of all, and a, and a, and a home for justice, right? And we need to have those conversations, build those networks by which that becomes possible. We should not sort of just take to the streets every time, uh, you know, a police officer kills another innocent black person. We should be engaged in forethought. Constant conversation. A constant conversation and constant betterment. action. Right. And I think you, I mean, you make a, listen, you make a great point. And I want to, I want to really clearly say this so that you guys all understand this. This is not about black people wanting to take from you. This is about black people wanting to give themselves the chance they never had. That's it. We just want a chance to live, to be free, to be happy, to be respected, to be appreciated. All of the freaking basics of life. No one is asking for, give me your house, give me this, give me... I mean, I'm not going to say no if you want to give me your house. But we are really asking for the basics. That's it. So stop being fearful of what you're going to lose and be proud of what you can give. Look, the truth is something that is scary when it reveals that you have been wrong or that you have benefited from evil. So when you feel that fear in having these conversations about the history of America and the history of the Western world and its racist history, right? When you feel that fear, that's telling you you're going in the right direction. Don't turn away. Proceed boldly forward. That's a perfect 
perfect way to end. Hard conversation to have. I know it's going to be hard for some of you to hear, but it's it's absolutely worth it. And what I will also tell you as an action item is if you think that what Jacob and I and Kyle and I and others talk about in these podcast episodes, share them with your friends who are comfortably sitting at home thinking that they do no wrong. Doing no wrong does not mean you're doing right. Okay, I'll leave you with that. Happy Juneteenth. Be sure to celebrate it because it is an important day in our history in black history and in American history. Yeah, and celebrated in the, in, the, in the true spirit of our people, which is remember our history in the spirit of the future we're building together. Peace out. Thank you to our host, Clovercrest Media Group, Kev from BK for our visual arts, and the fire intro song, Filthy, by TVP Records. Podcast system.